Thank you for joining us today for the Oakwood Baptist Church podcast. This episode was recorded at the Home Builder Sunday School class, which Pastor Jones teaches at Oakwood. The lessons are taken from the book, The Ministry of Marriage by Jim Benny. Well, 1 Thessalonians chapter 3, uh, let me read uh, verses 12 and 13 to you and to follow along there. Uh, the Bible says, And the Lord make you to increase and abound in love one toward another and toward all men, even as we do toward you. To the end, he may establish your hearts unblameable in holiness before God, even our Father, at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ with all his saints. I want to speak to you uh, this morning about how to grow your love. Because remember, we've spent some time talking about here's what love is not. And as a result of just studying what it is not, we've been able to examine what it is. We've talked about how a lot of times the world's idea and teaching about love has caused us to uh, have some misconceptions about that. And so we, we, we spent some considerable time discussing that. So now I want to talk to you about growing uh, your love, growing your love. I mean, uh, I, I, know, I know we've all been out somewhere before and you've, you've watched a family. Uh, maybe, maybe it's even been your own family at times because you've got to stay on top of this. But have you ever watched a family? I mean, they're out to eat. Maybe they're at, an, at a nice restaurant and everybody's doing this. And I think, oh, that's such a waste. You know, I mean, here you are. Food is such a, such a fellowship thing, Right. And, and, and man, these people, they're eating, they're eating at a nice restaurant, and nobody's talking to each other, just engaging their... But, but have you ever seen an older couple, and maybe they're eating, it's just the two of them, they're, they're, they're older, they're just the two of them, eating together at a restaurant, and, and they're not on their phones, but they're not talking, they're just sitting there. Like, how many of you ever seen that before? It's like, oh man, I, I don't know about you, I, I don't want to be that, right? I mean, I don't, I don't want to be... You know, like we're here together because we've been together for 50, 60 years and we got nothing to say. I, I, I'd rather not be that way. I'd rather uh, be engaged and, and excited to be there with one another and talking and that kind of thing. And so uh, it's not just God's will for you to stay together. I mean, it is God's will for you to stay married, but it's God's will for you to grow in your love towards one another. Uh, this verse clearly states that. And the Lord make you to increase and abound in love one toward another and toward all men. Uh, he says, even as we do. Um, so this text is written for us and it applies to us. And it means that your love should be constantly expanding and developing. You know, it's getting colder outside. Some of you appreciate that. Some of you don't. Uh, man, I, I don't mind it getting cold in the winter. I just don't want it to get too cold. All right. I like the weather around here. But anytime it gets colder, you might have your house, uh, you know, expand and contract kind of thing. We're seeing that in the gym floor that we put down the other day. The, the, the cold weather is making it move a little, a little bit and it's supposed to do those kind of things. Listen, your, your love is supposed to constantly be expanding. That's, that's what it should be doing. So again, we discussed in previous lessons some of the reasons that love fails to develop. Uh, one of the things we said is failure to understand the natural and predictable seasons of marriage. I think some people aren't prepared for that. And you need to be prepared for that. You're going to have continual cycles of marriage. There's going to be times where, man, I mean, it's just natural, it's easy. Uh, the birds are singing, the flowers are blooming. Uh, there's going to be other times where the leaves are falling and things are not, not doing so well. And you've got to be prepared for that. 
Uh, the other reason I think some people struggle is what we already mentioned as well, is the common misconceptions that are basically induced by our culture that create a misunderstanding about what love really, really is. So today we're, we're talking that another reason that love fails to grow is that we're not applying biblical principles that are needed to help develop authentic biblical love. So let me say this about marriage. We say it a lot as I'm speaking corporately to our church. Um, I try to emphasize this. We're not trying to make our church big. We're not, we're not setting goals that way. Here's what we want. We want a healthy church. And I believe that if a church is healthy, you will see growth. You'll see spiritual growth. You will see uh, some numeric growth. I mean, you may not grow to be 10,000. That's, that's silly. I'm just saying we are going to reach people and impact people if we're healthy. I think everybody in here knows what it's like to walk into a church that's not healthy. You walk in and you see that it's dying. You walk in and you see like, man, these people are mad at each other. So, like I, I've been in churches like, man, something is not right here. Well, I think we've all been around couples before too. You ever been around a couple before and going, oh, I don't know what's going on. But something is not right there. Listen, we want health in our marriage. If we can apply the biblical principles of, of health, then our love has a possibility to grow. So what are these principles? Certainly not an exhaustive list, but let me give you six principles that if applied will help your love grow for one another. All right, I want to I say that again. I want to emphasize that caveat. If applied. Listen, that's why James said, don't just be a hearer of the word, be a doer of the word. What is he saying? He's saying you've got to apply the word of God to your life. A lot of us hear it and go, oh yeah, that's really good. But you've got to figure out ways to apply it to your everyday life. And I think sometimes we struggle in that area, all right? So let me give you these six principles. Number one, you need to be saved. Now that might seem simple. That might seem maybe like, well, come on, man, we're here in Sunday school. No, no, let's talk about that for just a second. It may seem redundantly basic, but its importance cannot be ignored. It cannot be overlooked. I think sometimes people just flat out struggle because maybe they're not even born again, not even saved. Now listen, this is a good opportunity for me to say something that I say regularly. I'm not going to try and tell somebody they're not saved when they are, and I'm not going to try to tell somebody they are saved when they're not. I'm going to let the Holy Spirit do that. I just want to talk about the gospel, preach about the gospel, if the Holy Spirit speaks to your heart. I, I always say this, the Holy Spirit has two main ministries. It's to convict the, sin, the world of sin, righteousness, and judgment, and it's to comfort. And He's really good at doing His job and doing His ministry. So if you are saved, I think the Holy Spirit can come up beside you and say, no, no, you're one of mine. He'll testify of that. Isn't that what Romans 8 says, that the Holy Spirit, He, he, he knows who, who are His? But I think he'll also say, hey, he's talking to you. You need to be saved. You know, the Holy Spirit can, can do that. Uh, but understand this. One cannot love with godly love unless you are indwelt by the Holy Spirit. You understand? We, we believe that. The Bible teaches that. When you get saved, the Holy Spirit comes to reside in you. Again, I refer to Romans 8. He says, if you don't have the Holy Spirit, you're none of his. It's very, very clear. You know, the, the charismatic theology idea of that, you get saved and then you need to, you know, work some way to get the second blessing. That's, that's not what the Bible teaches. It's not what the Bible teaches. You don't need 
You don't need to get more of the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit needs to get more of you. That's kind of kind of what the Bible really really teaches there. So anyway, let me let me read this verse to you. First John chapter four verses seven through eight. For love is of love is of God, and everyone that loveth is born of God and knoweth God. He that loveth not knoweth not God, for God is love. So you understand there that somebody that does not have God is not born again, is not able to fully love the way that they should. I'm not saying somebody that's lost can't love their wife and love their kids and love their job or you know whatever. I, I understand they can. I'm just saying you're not going to be able to fully. You're not going to be able to biblically. And so Peter, he writes in his epistle, 1 Peter, he says that you're to love one another with a pure heart fervently. Man, what a great verse. Love one another with a pure heart fervently. Isn't that what you want for your spouse? I would hope that's what you want. That I want to, I want to love them with a pure heart fervently. I mean, that's, that's what everybody's after, that deep romantic love, that fervency, that passion. That's a word you hear all the time, that passion. You know, that, That's what Peter says. But, but if, you, if you go back and you read the entirety of those verses, he adds a qualifier. The qualifier is this, being born again. That's the qualifier that he puts in those verses. So understand if love is absent, if, man, we're really struggling here. And that's why some people say, we're just not in love. I don't love them anymore. So if love is absent, and, and it's waning, and it's weak, this is, this is the diagnosis. It is either that your relationship with God is non-existent, like you don't have one. You understand, you can be religious, not be born again. You can be religious and not have a, a real relationship with God. So it's saying you're, you're, you're either non-existent in your salvation or your walk with God and your fellowship with God is very weak. It's struggling. Okay, Either one of those things is a cause for serious concern and alarm. I'm not loving my spouse the way I should. If something is wrong in the fervency in my, my, my love for them, then either I am not saved or my walk with God is, is, is in big trouble. It's not where it needs to be. So that's, that's the first thing. Number two, be spirit-filled. We need to be spirit-filled. So just as important as it is to be indwelt by the Spirit, be saved. That's what I mean when I say indwelt. You get saved, the Holy Spirit comes in. It's it just as important to be indwelt by the Spirit of God in salvation. It's vital to be filled with the Spirit of God in your everyday life. Um, you, you understand, I, I quote this verse all the time. It's a very important verse to me personally, and I want it to be important to you, Galatians 5. Uh, the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, long-suffering, gentleness, goodness, faith, meekness, temperance. Man, I, I really want you to, I quote it often because I want you to quote it often. I want it to be natural. I want it to roll off your tongue. I want it to become a prayer in your life. God, help my life to be characterized by these nine evidences of the Holy Spirit working in me. And I know that if I'm, not, if I'm not loving and I don't have joy and I don't have peace and I don't have self-control and I don't, I, I'm not doing what is right and I'm not exemplifying faith and faithfulness, then, then I know I'm not being controlled by the Spirit. I'm being controlled by the flesh. You say, how, how, how do you know when you're not filled with the Spirit? Well, if you're not exemplifying these things or, or if you're asking that question, there's a good indication that you're not. You know, there's many times, that God, you feel me? Oh, boy, I look back on the way I chose to act, and I realized, oh, I wasn't controlled by the Spirit. I was controlled by my own flesh. I just reacted. I just did what came naturally to me instead of realizing that, that I'm under the control of the Holy Spirit. 
In fact, if you go to the book of Ephesians, which is really the Magna Carta, Ephesians 5, the Magna Carta on the home. This is those classic verses, right? Uh, but before it gets to telling you, husbands, love your wives, even as Christ loved the church and gave himself for it. Wives, submit yourselves to your own husbands. Hey, before it ever gets to that, it says this to us, doesn't it? Be not drunk with wine where it is excess, but be ye filled with the Holy Spirit of God. Why? Husbands, you're not going to really love your wife the way Christ loved the church and gave himself for it if you're not filled with the Holy Spirit. Wives, you're not going to love your husbands and submit to their leadership if, you, if you're not filled with the Holy Spirit. It's, it's just not going to happen. These things are not possible without being filled and energized by the Holy Spirit. Now, it seems basic, but we've got to have that. Again, guys, fellas, if you aren't showing love and tenderness and, and care and concern and conviction to your wife, you're not filled with the Holy Spirit. If you're, if you're bullying, you're filled with your own flesh. Ladies, if you listen, I, I, know when I, I know when I first came to the church here, I'm, I'm just going to tell you this. When I first came to the church here, people said, well, what, here's what we need. We need leadership. I'll tell you what, we need leadership. Boy, we just need somebody to come in and provide some leadership. And then I would come and I'd say, all right, here's what we're going to do and where we're going to go. And people go, you can't do that. We're not going there. Okay, well, well, wait a second. There's an old adage. You can't have your cake and eat it too. If you want leadership, you got to follow the directive of the leadership, right? You know, and, and, and I think sometimes I just want my husband. He needs to be the spiritual leader. And then he tries to do something. You go, you can't do that. That's stupid. Well, lady, I mean, come on. You got <laughs> come on. If you're filled with the Holy Spirit, things are going to flow better, right? Uh, that, that's just that's just key. Again, I'm not blowing your socks off of the stuff you don't know, but you got to figure out how you're going to apply this in your life. All right. Here's the third thing. Pray for love. Pray for love. Now, this seems very novel, but I want you to think about it for just a moment. If you go to the book of first John and first John five, it says, and this is the confidence that we have in him, that if we ask anything according to his will, he heareth us. All right. So the Bible just gave us a promise there. If you ask anything according to his will, he will hear you. Okay. Well, let me ask you a question. Let's get a little bit of class participation. It's kind of dumb here, but is it God's will for you to love your wife? All right. Is it God's will for you to love your husband? So if you ask God to help me love them, do you think God will hear that prayer? The Bible promises he will. First John 5, 5. And if we, if we know that he hears us, Whatsoever we ask, we know that we have the petitions that we desired of him. Listen, I, I hate to say it, but I just think in most of our lives, our prayer life is pretty weak. It's just not what it should be. We have a tendency to talk to our friends and post things on Facebook. And I'll be honest with you, I think sometimes... I've caught myself doing this. A lot of times we think we're praying and we're not talking to God, we're talking to ourselves. And some of you right now are going, I don't talk to myself. We all do. And sometimes in my prayer life, I'm talking through things with myself and not talking to God. I've caught myself, oh Lord, I'm sorry, I'm not talking to you right now, I'm talking to me. Listen, how, how often are we really going to the Father and asking him to help us in our situations. I believe that God would honor this. Whatever problem that you're having, 
whatever problem you're dealing with, I believe that God would hear this prayer. I've watched Him hear it in my life many, many times. God changed me and helped me to be what I ought to be and helped Mindy to react the right way. It, I'm telling you, I've watched God answer that prayer many, many times. God helped me to do what I should do, change my heart, deal with me, and help Mindy to react properly to me. You apply that. You having financial trouble? Why don't you ask God? God, help me to apply biblical principles of finances. Help me to do what's right and help the people in my life to re react properly as I make these decisions. I believe he hears that prayer. So make sure that you're praying. Make sure that you're praying. All right. Uh, here, here's, here's the fourth thing. Study biblical love. Now, we've kind of done that the last couple of weeks, but study biblical love. Again, the key to this principle is found in Philippians 1.9. In this I pray that your love may abound yet more and more in knowledge and in all judgment. So knowledge is a missing ingredient in most relationships today. We've talked about this, but let me, let me reiterate it. Many couples find their head disengaged by their heart. Remember we talked about this last week? Your head is to rule over your heart. I don't want you to be emotionless. I don't want you to be a robot. We're going to talk about it in the sermon this morning. Listen, we're not to be stoics and just void of any kind of emotion, but we cannot let our emotions control us either. All right, our emotions need to be kept in check. And again, I think a lot of people, um, their head is disengaged by their heart. And so therefore, they give very little thought to the notion that maybe more than premarital feelings are needed to sustain a relationship. Come on, guys, this isn't junior high. This is, this is like big leagues now. You guys are married. Many, many of you have been married. I, mean, I know we have some newlyweds in here. That's awesome. I think it's fantastic. But, you know, some of us have been married for decades. I mean, it's hard for me to imagine. I, I, this May, many of you will be married for 25 years. I mean, that's, that's a pretty big milestone. But, but the truth of the matter is, is you, you don't get to 25 years on junior high love. Right? Uh, it's more than just these premarital feelings of, I think you're cute. Because as attractive as you might find your spouse, if you've been married for any sustained period of time, you've seen them not be so cute. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Some of you are starting to giggle a little bit, right? I mean, it's just the reality, the reality will, will set in sometime. All right? So again, if love abounds through knowledge, then a vital way to grow love is to increase in knowledge about biblical love itself. To most Americans, it seems laughable to study love because we've been so conditioned to think of love in terms of spontaneous emotion. Remember, I said to you a couple of weeks ago, love really isn't that natural. That's why the Bible commands us to love one another. It commands husbands to love their wives commands wives to love their husbands. It commands parents to love their kids. It commands kids to love their parents. Why would it do that if it's just so natural to us? Why? We need God's help in that area. So we need to study biblical love as to what it exactly is. And I think more than anything, it's more than an emotion. It's a decision of the will. It's a decision of the will. Um, I may have told you this story before, but when I was early pastoring, um, there was a kid who grew up in our church, and he, he, he's a very troubled kid. I mean, he, he, as an adult, he's been in prison, and it didn't shock you if you knew him in fourth grade. I remember when he was about seventh or eighth grade, I was coming into the church, and I just so happened to be coming into the church about the time he was. And I said, 
Hey, like I would do anybody. Hey, buddy, how are you, man? Good to see you today. And literally this kid, he's like in eighth grade, he looked at me and said, shut up. Now, the flesh in me wanted to uh, punch him in the head. Now, I hope that doesn't disappoint you, but that's what I felt like doing. And uh, his parents were good people, but I mean, he was, just, he was a troubled kid, and his parents would have died if they, they knew he spoke to me and responded to me that way. But that moment, I don't always get it right, but in that moment, I just looked at him and I said, well, I love you anyway. Because you, you have, that's really what love is, because my feelings were, I'm going to punch you in the face. Now, again, I, some of you are like, Pastor, you shouldn't talk that way. I'm just, I'm just being honest. That's what I felt like doing. But, but my will says, I'm going to choose to show you kindness and love you and be here for you and help you any way that I can help you. You understand? It's a decision. So, again, um, here's fifthly. We'll, we'll, we'll get wrapped up here. Have the right goal. Have the right goal. Why do you want your love to grow? See, really, love is the fruit and motives are the root. And the best test of our motives is to compare them with God's motives. And when we come back to 1 Thessalonians chapter 3, verses 12 and 13, you'll notice that the purpose of growing in your love isn't to feel good. Now, I think that's what a lot of people want love because it, just, it makes them feel good. It's not to be happy. I have heard spouses say this. Well, I deserve to be happy. That's not the goal of love. Not according to the Bible. You guys understand happiness is a byproduct. People, people are always trying to make happiness the goal. When people make happiness the goal, I just want my kids to be happy. Listen, if that's your goal, you will never hit it. You will never hit it. Happiness is a byproduct of things. But a lot of people say, oh, you know. I, 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 want, I want love in my life so I can be happy. Really, the goal for love is not even that so you can enjoy some relief from your painful circumstances. You find it in this text. It says, And the Lord make you to increase and abound in love one toward another and toward all men, even as we do toward you, to the end, that he may establish your hearts unblameable. Here's the goal in holiness. I really believe that happiness is a byproduct of holiness. You ever met somebody that was a holy person? If I ask you, describe to me somebody in your life that you know that lives a very pure and holy life and describe them toward me. Anybody, anybody ever think of somebody in your life? Like my great-grandmother on the Jones side was one of the most godly ladies that I can remember in my mind. I mean godly lady. Just the way she walked, the way she sat, the way she talked. She was just a godly woman. Describe to me godly people. You might say, well, they, they're just very clean. They're very proper. They dress this way. They talk this way. They just... But would you ever describe somebody as holy, as cranky? Because when I think of my, we called her uh, Mom All Jones. When I think of her, she was not a cranky lady. Not an old grouchy person. You usually think of holy people as happy, contented people. Because they're like God. It's true. The prerequisite to progress is motive. So how does love produce holiness? Think about it real quick. If I love God, will I lie? See, the reason we lie is we love ourselves. We love our own reputation. We don't want to get in trouble. 
If, if, if I love God, will I steal? If I love myself, this is what I want. If I love God, will I kill? You, you know, I mean, that's the whole idea. Jesus said, love God with all your heart and all your soul and all your mind. The second is like unto the first, love your neighbor as yourself. He really was kind of basing that off of the tablets of the two commandments, right? Or the Ten Commandments. You know, the first ones that deal with, with your relationship with God, the next with your man. If you love God the way you should, you'll end up loving man. If you love man, you'll obey these commandments. And so the idea there is love is really the motive is holiness. What keeps me from sinning against God and others is my love for them. So then love produces holiness. I'll give you the last thought. We've got to get out of here. I've got three or four minutes here, but... The last one is be committed, and I, I think this is a great place for us to end. What is to ensure that you will persevere in your growth? I love this verse. It's such a good verse for any occasion in your life. Found in Galatians. And let us not be weary of well-doing, for in due season we shall reap if, if we faint not. Don't you love this one? Therefore be ye steadfast, unmovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord. Sometimes we think always abounding in the work of the Lord, church planting, missionaries, soul winning, preaching. You don't think that the work of the Lord is also your marriage, raising your kids? I submit to you that is also the work of the Lord. In fact, I've tried to tell you in this class, your marriage is your, your greatest ministry. Just think about it, guys. I want to be a good pastor to you. But if my marriage falls apart, I, I, I have no pastorate here. You understand, my marriage is a very significant ministry. It's the work of the Lord. And I have to always abound in the work of the Lord. And I have to constantly sow and reap in that area and not be weary in well-doing because if I faint, I won't live to see the fruit of my labor. So what I'm saying here is a common mistake of naive, newly married couples is oftentimes to fail to consider that time may have a negative effect on your marriage. Time may have a negative effect on your marriage. And I think the mistake of a discouraged married veteran is to fail to realize that time can have a positive effect on your love. So what I'm suggesting to you today is that divorce is a word that should be cut out of every couple's dictionary. Now I know most of us don't have an actual dictionary much anymore. You got one right on your phone. You just Google the definition. But I have known, I know of a pastor, I know of a pastor that he literally did this. He took the dictionary that he had on his shelf, he went and he took a pair of scissors and he cut out the word quit. I thought that was kind of cool. Well, I don't know that you have a physical dictionary that you could go to and do this, but you need to get it out of your vocabulary, you need to get it out of your life, it is the word Divorce. See, think about it. Couples that end up in divorce court did not land there by chance. What they did is they went through a lengthy process. First of all, they started thinking about it. Just thinking about it. Thinking about it. Then they started considering it. Then they started discussing it in the moments of tension. And then they ended up there. I mean, it's the same thing is true in any area in your life. I mean, if I'm going to rob a bank... If I'm going to rob a bank, it starts by going, you know, I'm not going to rob a bank, but if I was going to rob a bank, here's how I would do that. And you think about it. And you think about it. You watch a movie about it. And you think about it. And then you start going, you know, 
I'm really considering this because I've got some good ideas about this. And I, I think this might work. Then you start talking about it out loud and then you get to it. You, you can apply it to just about any area of your life. So then what happens to those that have done that? When conflict arises in marriage, you know there's no easy way out. It, or you try to take the easy way out. But, but for those of us that have nailed shut the back door and taken that word out of our vocabulary, we decide that, hey, listen, I don't have that option. And the only way to deal with it is to work hard. And that's called commitment. And that's the commitment that you made before God when you got married. Remember one of our principles of marriage in here? Listen, even if you're on your second or third marriage, listen to me. Listen to me. You can't do anything about the past. You can only do something about today. So right here today, what we got to do is nail that door shut, get rid of that word, and determine to work. Why? Because in due season you shall reap if, if you faint not. But too many people do faint. And they don't live to see it. So I hope this will help you. These are just some principles, some thoughts on how to grow your love. Nothing that's going to blow your socks off. But a lot of times what blows our socks off, what we really need is just to be reminded of what we know and get to work at it. That's, that's really, really it. All right?